mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, you're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. I'm your host, Faith. Hi guys, I hope you're having a good day. Um, I'm going to do something different than what I normally do, which is I'm going to give advice. Um, And I know like I'm only 26 and I'm not necessarily the most accomplished person, but I can tell you what I've learned over the years working in corporate Now, this is actually, in in case y'all didn't know, I have actually done an episode on um, being in the corporate world a while back. I was just talking about the experience, but I kind of wanted to expound on um, some of these topics that I encounter the most frequently. So this episode will be everything from career growth and opportunities to the job search. And of course, what my experience was like being a black woman in a predominantly white and male industry because there's some things to talk about with that as well. So before I get started, I just want to say thanks for listening to my podcast and supporting. I appreciate it so much. If you would love to have this conversation, um, definitely DM me on Instagram at It's More Than Potential. I love getting you guys' DMs. I love hearing your feedback and your perspectives. It means a lot to me. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your family and your friends And also rate my podcast five stars because you love it that much. I love reading the reviews and I love hearing you guys' opinions. And those sorts of ratings and reviews do a lot to help push the podcast out to a much broader audience. All right. That being said, I guess let's get into it. (laughs) Um, So let me just start out by saying I used to put being a white collar worker on a pedestal when I was younger. So I'm going to say like, I'm not really sure why I did this. I'm going to assume that when I was in high school, the reason why I wanted to work in an office and have a a cool office job was because I was from an area that wasn't rural, but it certainly wasn't urban either. It was a suburban sleepy town. And so, you know, we didn't have skyscrapers. We didn't have like huge office buildings to work from. The only major employer that I can think of was either a manufacturing plant or um, a, a nearby military base that was like five minutes from my house. So outside of that, there wasn't like these huge employers that could hire a lot of people. Like obviously people had jobs, but it was a small town, right? And so I think that my perception of being corporate and making a lot of money was that I was going to live this luxurious life and I was going to work in this really tall skyscraper, like this office building with a view of the city. Like that was a real um, fantasy of mine because we didn't have that where I lived. So when I moved from my town two to three hours out to Atlanta, I thought it was really cool because it was like being exposed to a completely different subculture living in Georgia. Like 
You go from a sleepy town where nothing really happens. There's no nightlife. Everybody goes to church on Sunday and half the people there are related to each other in some way, shape or form. You go from that to like hustle and bustle of Atlanta, all these foods and cultures. And and it's like a huge cultural exchange. You have these skyscrapers and buildings. And I remember, you know, this sense of awe coming over me every time I, you know, got to Atlanta and you're, you see like the skyline. And I just remember feeling that sense of wonder, if that makes sense, especially at nighttime when you're driving through that tunnel. And y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've gone to Atlanta, you know what I'm talking about, that that one tunnel, and you come out and then you're at the skyline. Um, it truly felt like special. It felt like I could do anything. It felt like there was a lot of opportunity out there that was available to me. So... You know, I, I realize now, years later, because that was when I was 18, when I moved out my parents' house and went to college in the greater Atlanta area. I'm now 26, so I feel like a lot has changed between then and now. And although I do not have the same, like, view of corporate life, I will say that the potential to make money is still there. I just don't put it on a pedestal because I understand um, the difficulties and the challenges that come with being a black woman in the corporate space. And, you know, when I was a child, I didn't know anyone who had a corporate job, a fancy corporate, you know what I'm saying, white collar job. I didn't really know anyone like that. I knew teachers and nurses and specific occupations. I didn't know anyone who worked that white collar lifestyle. I didn't, I just didn't. So I had no preparation. I didn't know what to expect. And I was kind of surprised to find when I graduated college what it was actually like, which is in some cases microaggressions and dealing with office politics and the stress of working a lot, but doing things that don't really matter. Like you're not teaching kids, you're not nursing the sick or you're not serving in the military or doing like a manufacturing type of job, making products that people will actually eat or wear. Um, it's it's different, right? It feels like a, a job that is, I guess, kind of necessary, but also not really. And we're, we're paid absurd amounts of money to do these things, you know, working for major corporations that are actually quite horrible, <laughs> like horrible companies that have horrible business practices. But those are your employers. And that's the reality of working in the corporate world. You have to have some level of cognitive dissonance about the employer and the employer and what exactly they do. Like, do they have these weird contracts with the government? Are they oppressing people in other countries? Are they employing sweatshops in China, kids in sweatshops in China or some other place? I don't know, Taiwan, Indonesia, whatever. Um, are they just engaged in really just bad business practices and suppression overall? It became more and more relevant for me as I got older, to analyze exactly how me working for these companies and putting them on a pedestal impacted, I guess, my own personal ethics. But anyway, so now that I've talked a little bit about this, I do want to share a moment for me that kind of is so salient in my mind. When I first graduated college, I was like, hmm, hmm. 21, 22. And I interviewed for this job. It was as a legal assistant for a kind of prestigious firm in Atlanta. Um, 
And I remember practicing a lot for that interview. I remember my boyfriend dropping me off and wishing me good luck. And I go into the office building with my, you know, black suit and white dress shirt, getting in the elevator, talking to the doorman and him directing me and giving me like a temporary badge. I get in. I, and this is, I think the building was in Midtown. So yeah, if that gives you an idea, if you're from Atlanta, it was in Midtown. So go into the elevator that looks super nice. Like everything is like just very, I don't know. Just, it was a really nice office building, guys. I don't know how to describe an office building other than that. But <laughs> I get in the elevator and I go up, 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 up. And I think the company or the firm had like three levels in the office building closer to the top. So I go into the office and, and I'm in the lobby. The receptionist greets me, gives me a bottle of water she knows what I'm here for. I'm here for an interview. And I just sit on like the really plush seats in the, in the waiting room to wait. After five minutes, she then escorts me into this like boardroom. And y'all, it was like what you see in the movies. It's a boardroom with this long table and like almost 20 chairs around it in a circle. And then an amazing view an amazing view of the city, like the skyline. And around this time, it was like early in the morning. So I would say it was in the fall. So it's it's, it's not cold yet, but you know what I mean? Like as it gets colder, it takes a lot. Like you essentially, it's not until about 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. where you really start to see sun up, if that makes sense. Like it's actually bright outside. So around this time, like, the sun was coming up. It was like 7 a.m. or whatever. And I remember looking through those, you know, top to bottom windows. You know what I'm talking about? Those windows that it's like the whole wall is a window. And a good chunk of the boardroom was looking out over the skyline. And I just remember standing next to that window in so much awe. I was like, wow. The upper classes do have it better. Imagine going into an office and this is your view. You have a view of the whole city, all these skyscrapers, and of course, like, you know, different plots of land in the park or whatever. And I was just in awe, genuinely. And I remember feeling like, okay, this is dope. Like, there's a clear difference between the haves and the have-nots. Like, the have, the haves clearly live way above everybody else. Like they live in a different altitude than everyone else because they can afford these super nice apartments and, and gyms and office buildings, you know, high above everyone. And you really see the beauty of the city. Like you don't see what's happening on the ground. You don't see the homeless people. You don't see the trash. You don't really have to look at the bad parts of the city. Like you're not nowhere near College Park. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you're just like, wow, this is so nice. And it kind of hit me at that point, And I was only like 21 or 22. Income inequality. Like I know it sounds like super cliche, but it really hit me. I was like, wow, this is everything you aspire to have. If you become a legal assistant here, you'll get some good recommendations for law school, hopefully UGA or Emory. And then you will be here. 
working with all of these pretentious ass lawyers. Is this what you want? And I was like, damn, do I want this? Do I really want this? And I, I remember being like, I could fit in here, but I'll never fit in here. Like I could play the part, but is this what I really want for myself? Or is this what society tells me to aim for? And that this is what success will look like. And if I get this job and I did get the offer, is this what I want? And so a month later, when I got the offer, I turned it down and moved to Missouri instead. Not because I was super woke. It was just literally because the job in Missouri paid me way more money and I could actually afford to live there versus in Atlanta, where I would just be one of the have nots working for the people who have a lot. You know what I mean? So anyway, now that I've talked about that, I, I kind of want to express some, some things to give you some context. So I just want to say, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking like, oh, like, you know, Faith is this kind of person who's so accomplished. Not really. Do I have a good job? Yeah. Um, but I will say, though, that I don't have better morals than literally anybody else. Like a lot of the ethical and moral questions that you have, I also have. But I will say that I don't make myself feel so guilty anymore. I don't feel as guilty for making the money I make, for having a good job to afford the things I can afford. I don't I don't feel as guilty anymore because I genuinely feel like I'm doing the best that I can. A lot of the questions that, you know, that come up for me is what I described earlier, where I was talking about how a lot of these companies, you start to see once you get insider information into how they work and what have you, which in my line of work, you do, you really do get to see like everything. Well, you see everything. It's like, ooh, this is rough. Like, this is rough. You know, some of the biggest companies in the world, like, ooh, you start to really see it differently. And when you have that vantage point, and you're fully in the system and you see how it works. You see how people win. You see how people lose. You're around people who've never had to struggle a day in their life. You're around people who make millions. What do they do? I don't know. But they make a lot of money. You know what I mean? It makes you really question things. Um, it makes you question your own intentions. And I think there is that element of survivor's guilt. Like you look at where you started and you look at where you're at today and I look at all the challenges I had to overcome, which included lack of resources, lack of a, a real network at the time. Um, I felt like I wasn't smart. I didn't come from a, a top tier school and I just felt like I didn't have the skills. And so looking at where I am today, I do feel a lot of imposter syndrome because it's like, am I the diversity hire? You know, like, am I am I the thing that makes y'all feel better about yourselves knowing that you're doing this rampant wealth hoarding? And it's like, well, we, at least we hired a few blacks, you know, because we care about diversity. Um, even though if you really cared about diversity, you wouldn't be supporting, you know, the company. You, you, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing as a company, right? So there is a lot of those things that I think about all the time. And I and I do see, um, for example, let me, let me just say this. So there was a TikTok I saw the other day where it was a woman, she had like red hair. It was a black girl. She had like a, a red Afro, bright red. And she was talking about how more and more it feels like we're asked to compromise our values and our morals in order to um, live life. So you're asked to turn a blind eye to 
different artists when they do things that are racist or anti-black or just horrible. You're asked to look past it. You're asked to look past the politicians and the insider trading and how much they lie to us on both sides of the aisle. You're asked to, to overlook that. Choose the lesser of two evils all the time. You're asked to, you know, work for companies that treat you like shit and pay like shit, but at least you have a job, right? Like that's, you're, you're ignoring all the things that they're doing to suppress other people in other parts of the world. You just have to be blind. Blind, deaf and dumb and mute and just pretend like you don't see here or notice anything wrong. And I resonated with that. I do because, you know, this is such a Gen Z conversation, but once you become of age and you're, you know, that frontal lobe in your brain is developed, you start to really see how these systems work. And it's one thing to study it, which some people study it, no shade to gender studies, no shade to African-American studies, but like y'all are, most of y'all are not professors for real. Y'all are just theorizing. When you see it happen in real life and you know what it takes to navigate these systems to become who you're becoming, it is different than just reading about it. Because as a person of color, you're in the situation like, yeah, you could talk all day long about being anti-white supremacy, but now you're getting that check though. And that check is paying your bills during a recession that check, though, is keeping you sustained. And when your family asks for money all the time, which they tend to do, you know, you can actually give them some coin. Now, because of my actions and my choices, my siblings can get access to a job that they could have never dreamed about before this point. Like, I am the oldest child, so I have a few siblings behind me. My brother is in cybersecurity, so if he wants a cushy job, in an elite institution, I can get him that. I can give him an in that he didn't have. He would have never had before me. And if I get into a top MBA, like a top business school, which I'm trying to do because and leverage my network, then that might actually be an option for him to get into the actual school. Like, what if I can get into, um, I don't know, um, a business school at Harvard or Stanford or whatever, whatever. What if I actually get a law degree from those institutions that makes it just that much more likely that other people in my family can also get into those schools. Like this is serious. And I feel like these institutions are very elite and prestigious because they've gatekept people out for so long. But the only way that some of us who desperately need it to break these generational curses, the only way we can get out of the situation we're in is to leverage these institutions to get what we can get out of it. So in a way, yes, it's easy to talk shit about black capitalists when you're making 30000 a year. It's a lot different when you're making six figures and you've got siblings behind you that need to come up desperately and they're working their ass off. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm going to be so for real, y'all, as a black, and I know you're, you're waiting to get to the job search advice, but I promise you all of this is relevant. So I'm going through this part first so we can get to the good shit later. But I'm saying this because, listen, like, a lot of people talk about to get it out in the mud or whatever, but I actually for real hustled. I networked, I worked, and I and God himself gave this job to me. God himself has given me the opportunities that I've had. I truly believe that, yes, I can say I'm, I'm kind of smart sometimes. I'm kind of dumb, to be honest with you, but I do try. I can't take full credit. I really think that God himself gave me the chances that I had, the opportunities that I had. 
right? I was able to live on my own and work a good job during a pandemic. I was able to afford to live by myself and have my own apartment, have a good standard of living. I was able to travel when other people couldn't. I was able to do a lot of shit. And here's the thing. It's one thing to be able to live with your parents and have a good relationship with your parents and get, you know, opportunities to get in the door at companies because of your family and connections. It's different when you're blind applying on LinkedIn on a wing and a hope and a prayer and Googling job search and interview tips because you know that's the only way you're getting in the door. And then you get in. You don't get in because somebody helps you. You don't get in from a reference. You, you literally don't know anybody there and you're just on a wing and a prayer hoping that something, that one opportunity can change your life. And like I said before, like I, and I've talked about this a little bit, but I was definitely food insecure in college. So when I watched other people have security with their families and have more resources and just be able to do more, you know, it, it, it did used to bother me. So, yeah, I mean, I I was incredibly blessed despite having the odds stacked against me. I'm going to be so for real, y'all. Like I can't take full credit at all, nor would I ever. Some things are just a God thing. And I truly believe because of the opportunities and the rooms I've been put into, the people that I've met in my life, I truly believe I am blessed and highly favored and I will not fuck this up for myself because there's too many people who are relying on me, who need that income, who need that support, who need an in that would have never had it had I not been given access to elite institutions. So I'm just saying like that survivor's guilt is real but is it enough to stop me from getting what I need to secure something for myself? No, especially in a time like this, where we don't know what the hell going to happen in this country. I'm going to be so for real. I don't know. I'm just here. <laughs> we're, we're, we're here. We're here. So anyway, I'm saying, I'm saying all this to preface, you know, what I'm about to tell y'all in terms of how I was able to do the things that I was doing and, and give y'all some actual career advice that I, I paid money for. Um, Things I've learned along the way. And yeah, so I want to stop it here because we can have a, trust me when I say we can have a whole separate podcast alone about the ethics of doing some of the things that I've had to do, but nothing illegal, just, you know, things to discuss, things, things to consider. So, all right, let's just get to the fun stuff. (laughs) So let me start out by saying, this is a real principle that if you can understand this, it will change your life. It's one thing to hear from me. It's another thing to like actually um, be able to see it for yourself and see the impact of this. So, okay, (laughs) you're not going to believe this or maybe you will. But one thing I found in my life is that your actions and your conversations directly play a role in the types of opportunities available to you. And I'm saying this because I think that a lot of times people will ask me, how did you know about this? How did you know about that? And it's like, I did not have an insider. I didn't know anybody. I I genuinely had no idea this program, this boot camp, this job uh, posting, any of that. I didn't know any of it was available. Only knew about it because I was looking for it. And so let let me explain. So essentially, the way that technology works today... Your phones are listening to your conversations. Your searches on Google, that's data. 
So if you're searching something on Google or searching something on your phone or on TikTok or Instagram or anything like that, those platforms, even if you're, let's just say you're, you, you have a subscription to a service, right? Let's say you're subscribed to the New York Times, right? Do you think that that data just sits with the New York Times? It does not. All this data is collected and shared amongst a lot of companies, um, especially Twitter. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk is selling your data to the highest bidder. He does not care because he needs to make that money back. Um, I'm saying all this because when you are searching for something, it signals to other companies that you're available to be sold to. So that's why you will talk about pet food or dogs. And then within one day, you'll see a YouTube advertisement for dog food. Or you'll be on TikTok and you'll see something about dogs. You'll see a lot of dog-related content. That's why you can purchase a, purchase a movie to see Wakanda Forever or whatever latest movie. And then you'll actually see advertisements for it on your social media platforms. You'll see reviews for it on YouTube. You'll see all sorts of stuff because of your data. It's tracking your data. And this data is collected and shared amongst a lot of different organizations, people. A lot of people pay money to get consumer information. This is important because once you, because a lot of people will talk about this and how unethical it is. But what they're not telling you is this is something you should leverage to your advantage. Be strategic, right? This is where, you know, you got to have some street smarts. When you are trying to find opportunities online, let's just say you want to get a job in tech. You need to be typing how to get a job on, in tech. You need to be searching that in TikTok and Instagram. You need to be watching YouTube videos about how to get a job into tech um, and specific fields. Once you start doing this for at least a few days, you will start to see that reflected on TikTok, Instagram, and other places. And that's how you come across opportunities. I would also say to get more granular. So start looking up um, different jobs and like software testing, on site reliability engineering, um, just like really niche jobs that people may not know about because that is your opportunity. That is when you'll start to see like Instagram ads for boot camps or free trainings and programs or, or um, opportunities where you actually will start to get paid training. I saw this happen most clearly recently within this year. Uh, my brother is in cybersecurity. He's in a cybersecurity program as a young person. He's like 20 years old. And so when I started looking at cybersecurity, and I think I signed up for like a cybersecurity certification one time, it was like a training thing. Guess what I started seeing? a lot of content on TikTok about free certification programs, free training, free job placement, all for cybersecurity. Some of those programs, they will literally train you for free, hook you up with a job for free, and you don't have to pay them anything because it's done through a government grant. Um, they'll have huge corporations that have programs and placement for new grads or college students who are trying to get into certain in-demand fields. Like this shit is so real but you'll only know about it because of your habits, because of your conversation. So this is more of a mindset thing. If your mindset is, I want somebody to give me the answers or give me the problem, give me the solution to a problem that I have not even attempted to solve, you're already in the wrong mindset. Your mindset should be, I gotta go out and I gotta get it on my own. Like I, got, I will eat what I kill. And if I have the mindset that everything I want will be provided to me, everything that I'm looking for, the, the path will be laid out in front of me, then things will happen more clearly. Like I've manifested a lot of the shit that I have in my life. Like I know 
I did not, I don't know if you've noticed on my TikTok, I didn't, I took down a lot of TikToks, like almost all my other TikToks. And I put TikToks out there that were manifestation videos of me on a treadmill working out. Do y'all not understand that that shit was an activation of everything I said I wanted? And within a month, I started getting everything I said I wanted on my vision board. This shit is real. It is 100% real. But I can't take credit. It's not just of my own might. It's because I set my intentions and my desires and I activated on those intentions and manifestations by doing something about it. So my conversations in the day-to-day is not social justice. It's not you know, white supremacy and capitalism and not saying there's anything wrong with studying that. If that's your true passion and if you want uh, if you want to learn more about it and if you want to be an expert in the field. But if you do not want to be an expert, if you're not trying to get your PhD in oppression, then you got to figure out another way to get some money to survive. You're not going to be a tenure professor anytime soon. So your focus should not be that. Your focus should be finding an expertise in something that will pay you money so you can live. Because we all got to eat at the end of the day. Like I said, it's going to be it's going to be hard to hear for some people. Right. But I started this out by saying there's always ethical things to consider. But I had to get over that to some extent to focus on what providing for myself. And like I mentioned before. You know, yes, a lot of times they're asked to compromise our integrity, but we haven't even got to that part yet. We're talking about mindset shifting. Mindset shifting is everything I need will be provided to me, but I got to go out and get it. Set your intentions on getting a job in whatever field you want. Set your intentions and living the type of lifestyle. Start consuming content around that kind of lifestyle. So be able to watch architecture videos where they show you the inside of different types of homes. Look at different types of Pinterest boards and Pinterest um, images of the type of life that you want and then start taking action on it. Your conversations in real life should be about how to, you know, make money, how to get into the certain career field or whatever, whatever. Talk about it with your friends. Express your dreams and goals and desires to your friends. Like, talk about this shit. Make it a part of your, your, an active choice. Your conversation should be centered around what you're doing and what you have to do to get to where you are, to get to where you want to be, excuse me. And I promise you, you will start to see more things on your phone that are recommendations for programs, tools, influencers, contacts, all this stuff will start to show on your phone. And I'm saying this because that's actually how I came across a boot camp that changed my life. I'm saying this because what ended up happening was I came across a job posting that nobody knew about, and it was a job that I applied to that I thought I would never get, and I got the job, and I'm in the job. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's not fully a coincidence. Some of this stuff is about putting energy and effort in and trying to get a return. So focus on your mindset. Your mindset should be, I have to take action. I have to change my daily habits. I have to change my conversation to reflect the type of life I actually want. Um, That's the first thing before we start getting into any technical job stuff. Um, Another thing, it's going to take some time and money. You can't change your life and change careers overnight. A lot of times you're going to have to put in some work. The number one thing I tell everyone is look on Instagram, look on TikTok and find a career transition coach. Don't just get a resume writer. Get a career transition coach who works with young people or for whatever age demographic you're in. And depending on your demographic, 
you may have a career transition coach that's specifically focused on Latino students or Black students or moms who've been out the workforce for a long time. I'm saying this because I've actually had clients who do this. They will be career transition coaches who will help you with your LinkedIn presence. They'll help you with your resume and they'll actually give you the most important thing you need, a strategy. A lot of times people don't know that you need an actual strategy to get another job. The reason why I was able to get a job within a month, even after being effectively laid off versus some people who've been applying to hundreds of jobs and didn't get an offer. The reason why is because I had a strategy. I'm not that smart. I just paid for somebody to help me with my strategy. So I got a career transition coach. In this, I learned after applying to 72 jobs and finally got one fantastic offer and a few other opportunities that I decided to turn down. What I found was that there's several things that factor into this. When you pay for a career transition coach, they should be able to help you get clear about what kind of job best suits you in your current position. So let's say if you, like for me, for example, I was working in sales in an entry-level role. So I was able to talk to a career transition coach who looked at my resume, looked at the skills that I was using every day, and looked at the technology and the systems that I was trained in to assess how could I make more money in a different role. And based on that, she was giving me recommendations for things that I could do so that I could best prepare myself to take the next level type of job. So for example, I went from sales and business development to client strategy, which all that really means is that I'm working with clients, but I'm on the strategic end. I'm not just focused on client-facing work anymore. That was a logical jump, but people don't make that jump. They think sales, account executive, sales, SDR. They're not thinking about all the different ways you can use those skills for a company. And so what I found was that when she helped me get clear on all the different types of positions I was eligible for and all the different titles that it fell under, I was able to effectively apply to jobs that would actually be interesting. But also, a key part of this too is knowing what the market looks like. So depending on the city that you work in, you are applying to, you know, tech when you should be applying to pharmaceutical industries. Google this. And your career transition coach should be able to help you with that. Help you look at the market, look at the sector that's really good for your market. So whatever major city you're closest to, what are the top five biggest employers and what sector are they in and how that impacts you and the types of jobs you're looking for. Some of y'all are just applying willy-nilly using LinkedIn Easy Apply without considering that where you are located has a huge impact on what kind of jobs you get and qualify for. And I'm saying this because especially in this job market now where it feels like they're pushing return to office or hybrid work, if you want a really good paying job where you don't have to go in the office every day, you need to know what companies are hiring. What companies, and there's still companies that are hiring by the way, even now, even during a recession, there's companies that are hiring. You just have to know what companies they are and what companies are more likely to um, want to work with you and what jobs you could do. So if you want to work in tech, maybe right now working at Twitter or you know Google is not good for you based on your location. But there are pharmaceutical companies, there are bio biotech companies that are still hiring because the industry is growing. So you can pivot to that industry, maybe, depending on your location. 
And um, yeah, focus on a specific type of role in tech that would be good entry level. So it's just, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of options that you only know about when you get a career transition coach. Moving right along, if you're a new grad, it's even more important that you seek advice. Your college admissions, um, not college admissions, your college um, advisory group. So let's say you you're at university, right? You should have a college advisor for your specific um, college. So if you're in the business college, nursing college, social sciences, you should have an advisor that is assigned to you by your academic institution. The problem is your institution cares about being a feeder program and to specific employers. So they're just trying to get you employed. They don't care about your career goals and trajectory and what was what's best for you. They're trying to fill up contracted spots from your institution. So for example, when I went to school, I went to Kennesaw State University, I found there are several huge employers that had contracts with our school and they were feeder programs. Like the, the, the engineering program at my school had a feeder program from the engineering college to that employer. So obviously, you're, if you go to that college advisor for help, they may orient you on the path towards that employer. They're just trying to get you a job. They don't care about the right job for your career trajectory, making more money than you could be making. Like my entry level salary was $55,000 a year. So BFFR, like that's good entry level for a social sciences person. But had I talked to a career transition coach or someone who actually was skilled in getting college students hired, making great salaries, I could have been in tech a long time ago. You heard me? So I'm, I'm not saying I did bad because I did pretty good on my own. Like I said, y'all, I'm not the brightest, but I, I know how to finesse. So I got a good job making good money in an area where I could afford to live a decent lifestyle and they paid for my relocation. But once again... I leveraged all the resources I had available, including job portals for college students through your university. So your university, maybe if you like Handshake or something, will have a career portal or whatever where you can get recruited by people directly. But don't just rely on that. I'm just saying there's options. Um, so yeah, the only other thing I would say for new grads or for people who are still in school, don't wait to the last minute. The best time to apply for new positions, internships, jobs, all of that is literally from August to November. So I'm not saying that if you're outside of those times, you can't get positions. I'm just saying a shit ton of college programs, internships, jobs, recruiters, all of that are going crazy August to November trying to find college students. Once you're outside of that range, you're basically still getting things, but the same energy and money is not applied the same. And this is for everybody, not just for college kids, but specifically for college students who are eligible for certain types of feeder programs into huge companies like Microsoft. They are, they're going crazy August to November. So you gotta get in, apply to anything and everything, do a ton of research and Google opportunities for feeder programs for cybersecurity, since that's a huge industry right now, they're doing a ton of recruiting for college kids and they'll do a lot of training for y'all. So literally like cybersecurity is number one on the list. Like y'all gotta get in. Um, working for the government, heavy recruiting, working for huge companies like UPS, Microsoft, Google, all the big companies, 
and of course tech companies too. So if you're in um, college and you want to break into tech, you can work for a small startup and get your start there. And then within a year, move on to somewhere, somewhere else. Like long before you graduate college, by the way, you don't have to wait till you graduate to get a good job. Like I'm just saying. So yeah, those are just some things I would think about um, in the job experience and trying to get, you know, your career going. But let's talk about too, salary and expectations. So one thing I've found is that like most things, recruiters are looking at a variety of different factors when they're recruiting you, hiring managers, when they hire you, salary you're offered, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, as a woman of color, I can absolutely tell you they will lowball you sometimes. The point is to do your research, go online, do your YouTube. You know, y'all, y'all smart. Some of y'all are young. You're, you're Gen Z. So y'all should have no problem Googling, getting on YouTube to understand how to find um, the right kind of salary for you and relevant to your experience and to your area. The area matters a lot. Geography matters way more in your job search than y'all really talk about. It's huge because um, for, I found out. $90,000 where I live is the equivalent to almost six figures in another city, in a major city for my type of job. But a lot of times, once again, they consider experience and also like your geography. So I'm just saying like, you see that difference between 90 and like six figures or 100 and 125 based on your area? Yeah, that's huge, <laughs> huge. And where I live, the reason why I'm moving is because it's harder. It's so hard to break out of or to get to six figures living where I live because I live in a lower rent area. So don't get me wrong, because the cost of living is super, super low, I'm living like a queen. But realistically, if I want to break six figures faster, if you want to break six figures faster and also like, you know, make your way in the world, find a city that's an urban center like Atlanta, like I don't know, Houston, Texas, Austin, Texas, or whatever. So there's employers that live there, but or that work there or have hubs there, but also not too expensive like Silicon Valley or like New York City, New York. You know what I mean? Consider that when you're looking for job opportunities and where you want to go. And there are major cities outside of that. Like there's like Chicago, um, uh, there's like Kansas City. There's other, there's plenty of major cities around the country. They're not as expensive. There's Denver, Colorado, which is on the come up. Denver is pretty good if you want a, a quiet area that's like a city, obviously, but it's not super crime ridden. So you can make your start there and then move somewhere else. So look at all these other major cities as options to get your start in your career where maybe the rent is not as high as like Silicon Valley or whatever. Just a consideration to be made. Um, but yeah, um, I'm saying all this too because um, one of the perspectives that I have is like, is that like when you're looking at how people lowball you in terms of your salary, don't ever be afraid to negotiate. There are some basic tools that you can find on like YouTube where they'll tell you how to negotiate. And I was able to negotiate stuff, but you know, don't be afraid to ask. Like I've asked for sign on bonuses before I've asked for more money. You can get up to 10% more in terms of like how much you're paid base salary, assuming that you have some level of experience. So I'm just saying, um, think about your benefits, your part-time off and your sign-on bonus and all those sorts of things, your, your base salary. There's so many different ways to be compensated for your work. So, you know, do some research, look into it. If you have a few extra coins, definitely get a career transition coach because that's money well spent. Money well, well spent.
um, and they'll help you negotiate and coach you through it. But yeah, time negotiating, time spent negotiating is always time spent 100%. And this goes back to something I was kind of hinting at before, but I need to clearly state. Please make sure that you're investing in yourself. Like it is never a bad thing to invest in yourself. Invest in yourself. Don't just hire a resume writer. You need strategy. But even beyond the strategy, make sure you understand like um, in terms of mentorship, in terms of... um, just a lot of stuff related to your career, um, resource groups, networking, and um, going to conferences, like all of that stuff requires money and time. So instead of buying money and buying different stuff with your Christmas money, ask your parents to get you certain services to help you move forward in your career. So the last thing I really wanted to talk about was more so <laughs> some of the experiences that I had when I started working in corporate, like officially. Um, And I'm only bringing this up because I think, you know, a lot of the stories that you hear about like discrimination and just some of the crazy stuff that can happen, it's easy to think that it won't happen to you, but like it 100% does happen. Now, it does happen in varying degrees though. So I wouldn't say that it always looks the same, but it definitely, it, it definitely does happen. And I can't really say that I have a specific way of dealing with every situation. I think it's really case by case and whether I actually like working at the company or whether it's just more so like, okay, um, I need to go because this is a toxic workplace environment. So I'll, I'll provide the context. If you are, you know, applying for a job, there are some questions that you can ask to better assess if the company's like workplace culture is truly toxic. But I would say the vast majority of it happens when you're actually on the job the first 60 to 90 days. That'll tell you everything you need to know about if the company is like horrible or not. So some of the signs I've noticed is morale. If morale is super low and you start working there and then people are talking badly about their jobs or making like slick comments about how they live for the weekends and they hate working there, that's a huge red flag because at that point, they're just like letting you know. Like they're saying it explicitly how bad things are for them. Um, If there's a lack of trust in leadership, so if everybody's like shit talking the CEO or whatever, um, that's a huge red flag. I mean, that's what's happening at Twitter right now. People are having private conversations about Elon Musk and are getting fired. So yeah, that's a sign that things are not going well. Um, What else have I seen? If they have a work hard, play hard culture, automatically no, because that just shows that they don't have work-life balance and they spend a lot of money on perks instead of actually paying you guys for the work that you're doing. Um, What else have I seen? I've seen um, situations where there's some form of micromanaging, which can turn into harassment really, really quickly based on the manager and their managing style. So if you see people complaining about micromanagement, then that's a huge sign things are not going to go well. If you find yourself not having a real official onboarding process and you just show up and then they give you something to do, that's a bad sign. I went through that with my first job. Um, That's a sign that they don't care about their employees and they have a high rate of turnover. So they don't invest in your training or education. Um, That actually happened. And granted, everything I'm telling y'all, every single red flag, right? That was the first job I had right out of college. 
So if you can imagine, doing a year there is like doing time in a penitentiary. Like, you do your time and you never look back. Like, it's like PTSD, like complex PTSD after that experience. It was it was horrible. I do not recommend. Um, I should have sued. I did not sue. And I won't talk about why, but it was just bad. <laughs> it was really, 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 really bad. Do not recommend. So, you know, if you're coming across stuff within the first 60 to 90 days, like, get out of there. Don't worry about how it's going to look on your resume. Just go. But assuming that's not happening and there's no overt signs of things that are bad or things that are questionable, like questionable business practices or things from the CEO that are just like, there's a personality cult, assuming everything is good. Um, one thing that I did notice at different jobs is that people really care about hierarchy in some companies. So depending on where you go, just because someone has seniority, even if they're in a different department or different area, their word is taken as gospel. And those sorts of hierarchical organizations are really hard to overcome. And that is typically accompanied with like stagnant technology. So legacy systems, there's no real innovation within the company. And I mean, innovation in a sense that new ideas are stifled. Um, they don't do anything differently because they've always done the same thing. So why change? They usually have like baby boomers as leaders from the top down. So it's very difficult to keep young people working there and they may have a higher rate of turnover on the lowest levels, or they have a low rate of turnover because the same baby boomers are keeping the same jobs for like 10, 15, 20 years. Um, those sorts of organizations provide a lot of stability and like economic periods like this one, but it's really hard to get there as a younger person because you are not gonna be heard. Nobody cares about your opinions. There's a lot of stability and there's very, a lot of clarity in your job description, but there's no room for growth. It's going to be very difficult to move up. That's the type of organization you come in once you've already established yourself in the industry within three to four years, maybe five, six years. So when you come in, come in as a director or an executive, because then you're going to get your, your salary padded, cushy situation, and you can just coast and enjoy the fruits of your labor. But that's not a place where you come in as a younger employee. I'm going to just be so for real. Those are the sorts of organizations when you encounter the most sorts of racism because essentially it's a bunch of old people cock blocking and gatekeeping. I would be like, that's really what it is. So if you're going into that environment, you know, trying to make your career in digital transformation or innovation, horrible. You're going to lose your job. Like you're not getting anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? And these are the things that, you know, I picked up on. But I didn't fully know until I was like 24, 25. Now that I'm 26, I can really clearly articulate and point out which companies have a great workforce versus, versus which ones I would never send a young person to go work at. Um, there was a situation as a woman where I would bring up things to leadership. And granted, this was an old company. They've been around for like 70 plus years. Super old company. Um, and... I would bring up things like ideas and they wouldn't adopt them. I would get no buy-in. And then when I would try to, and I was a supervisor at the time. So for, for context, I would try to hold people accountable as a supervisor and I would get no backup from leadership despite having the documentation needed. And so in that type of environment, 
it's not about playing politics. It's about understanding when you were never going to win. You are never going to be successful because things are the way they are by design and no one is going to be able to challenge that internally. It's going to have to be someone externally at the highest levels to change the culture. Um, and yeah, a lot of the racism that I experienced came from those sorts of organizations. Now, I've worked at late-stage startups. I've worked at more established companies that started out as startups, but then now they're like fully established companies that have gone public. Um, I would say with companies that are newer, they are more innovative. They take on ideas and they really listen. So let's say best case scenario, you come across a company that has a lot of young people. Um, and they do have some boomers as well, but they do have a lot of young people. They may still have high rates of turnover though, because they will milk you dry. They will pay you in terms of perks and benefits and not actual base comp, like base like salary. So they use young people, they use them and, and, and chew them up and spit them out. You know, it's like a, it's like a machine. Um, in those situations, a lot of the things that you'll experience is more so generational differences, like that kind of discrimination. So like young people are not taken seriously sometimes. So it may take you getting into a manager position after three to four years to really have your opinions heard. And I will say, though, depending on how big the company is, you may have more mobility to gain seniority and move throughout the company to enhance your career, take on additional responsibilities and get a better job. So what I've seen happen, and this is just from my perspective, just as a younger person who's talked to a lot of different people, I've been, I've had some experiences with this. What I've seen is with smaller startups before series C funding, you'll see a lot of young people get into the startup, work their way up to a manager or director position. And then they will, and I will say maybe they will have simultaneously gotten their MBA or some advanced degree. Typically it'll be both. So they'll work there for two to three years, do their time, um, work their way up and have done their MBA. After three years, they'll leave and get a much better position. Now, the goal is at the end of the day to work at that startup, get the experience and get the title change. The, entitled, the title change is essential. If you're going into a small startup, work hard, get the promotions that you need, get that director, get that manager title and then bounce after two to three years tops. Like you don't want to spend more than three years there. Get that director title. Maybe if you can get that manager title bounce, make sure that you have some certifications you've upskilled in some capacity, get an MBA or get like a, an, a, a, another degree if possible bounce to a much bigger company where you can be chill and you can lay, you can just kick your feet up. I've seen that happen a lot with a lot of success. That's what tech used to be because it used to be heavily gatekept before like, you know, it became more diverse and all these other minorities started flooding in the space. Um, yeah, there's a reason why it was gatekept because it was a quick way to make a lot of money fast. Imagine if you're 21, you graduated from college, you get like a job making $70,000 a year entry level, which is nuts, right? Um, <laughs> and now the salaries are even more inflated. So just imagine. First job out of college, $70,000, $80,000 a year, work your way up within two years, you have your business degree, you're making, well, you're working like, I don't know, $150,000 a year. You move job hop to another company after two to three years, 
huge corporation making like even more money. Nuts, right? That's the way the games play. So just saying, you know, there's options. But like I said before, um, those organizations, a lot of the discrimination you'll experience is just based off of age and experience. It's a purely hierarchy thing. Like you're new to the company. They're going to pay you in perks. They're going to work you hard. And then just, you know, if you manage to stick around after that, then maybe you'll get a promotion. But I don't know. So, yeah, my experiences most of the time in terms of microaggressions have come from those older organizations where people just don't respect you. And it's like nothing that you can do to really earn that respect. Like I was working in an environment where it was predominantly white and men. So, yeah. And they were older at that. <laughs> like I was going to lose no matter what. But, you know, it's different when you're in a younger organization where there's a lot of young people if you work really hard and you're charismatic, I think your charisma can take you very far if you network and you get in good with the right people. So a lot of times, like I said, analyze the organization and how the company functions and then kind of make your, your bets on that. So yeah, um, there's a lot more I could share, but I think I'll have to make this into a part two and um, look forward to that because I do have a friend who wanted to do an episode talking about her experiences as she's working in a large company now, I'm working in a large company, but she came from the tech space. So both of us, when we started our careers, we worked in like a tech type of company or yeah. And then she moved on to a large organization. She's still in tech, but she's in data analytics. I'm not in tech. I moved out because of the recession to a different type or a different sector or a different type of organization. So both of us can kind of give you a different perspectives on how things are going what we would do differently, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, maybe that conversation will be beneficial. It can kind of give you some perspective about things to look for. I hope that you guys like this episode when it's released. I hope you get a lot of value from it because this is all free, free game, free stuff. I had to pay money to learn this stuff. I paid with my blood, sweat, tears, and pocket. So <laughs> I hope this is actually valuable information for you as you're looking for jobs and um, trying to find sponsorship and opportunities. All right. I hope you guys have a good day. And as, as always, definitely share this podcast with your family and with your friends. If you like it and you enjoy these episodes, feel free to DM me on Instagram and I will respond to those inquiries. If you have a topic that you want me to cover, definitely let me know. I always love getting that feedback from you. And definitely if you like the podcast, and you want to support, the best way to do that is to rate us five stars on Apple because you love us that much. Please leave a review. Um, let me know what you liked, what you didn't like, what you enjoyed, what you didn't enjoy. Um, it just helps us reach more people. All right. I hope you guys have a good day. See you in the next one.